church family, my name is Emily and I serve with our students. I have just a few announcements for you as we get started this morning. If you're a first time visitor or maybe you've been attending for a little while and you wanna to get to know us a little bit better, we would absolutely love to connect with you. Here's what you can do. Scan the QR code on your seat to check out different next step opportunities or fill out a connect card in the seat back in front of you and drop it in one of the boxes in the worship center or at our welcome desk. And if you've been attending for a while and are ready to make Wheaton Bible Church your home, our new members class is coming up on Sunday, August 21st after the 1030 service in Connect Central. For more information and to register, visit wheatonbible.org membership or reach out to Andy Stahl. Finally, if you are a member, you have the opportunity right now to be a part of something extremely important in the life of our church. Scripture exhorts us to ensure that godly elders are appointed to oversee and shepherd the body of Christ, which is why in our church constitution, we lay out an annual process to do so. Starting today, you're able to submit nominations for elders online or through a hard copy form. To learn more about this vital process and to submit a name, visit wheatonbible.org slash elder nomination or stop by the welcome desk. Thank you for prayerfully participating in this with us. That's all for today. Thank you for spending a part of your weekend with us. I hope you have an amazing week. Good morning and welcome. Let's stand for our call to worship. This is from Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually, remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered, O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. Amen. Rejoice! 
invite you to pray silently as I read from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Amen. And hear this good news from Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Hallelujah.
message of the Bible, Jesus will still be there, no matter what we face, no matter what we hear of other people facing in these days, we can hold our, our rock is that Jesus will still be there. Well, the next song we're going to sing is a modern hymn called Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw Near. So if there's a, a situation in your life or in someone around you that you are wondering, why, oh God, why? Why are you still allowing this? Why are you letting this happen? We, we trust in him and we draw near to Christ, and that's our only hope. So let's stand and declare that together to the Lord and to each other. Afflicted saint who Christ draw Savior's gracious promise here, His faithful word you can believe, that as your days your faith shall be.
have been thinking about as we sang that song and we know that there is nothing that is too hard for you and that you are with us in the storm like we talked about last week and today as we talk about these hard things God we trust you and when we have a hard time trusting you we trust that you will carry us and so we come to you with all those situations and lift them up to you and ask that you would have your way and that you would break through and that you would bring your kingdom and your, your will would be done. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Church. My name is Ginny Stair, and I serve with our kids, our students, and our special needs teams. I'm up here to talk with you. Last week, Hannibal mentioned how 52 of our students and 18 of their leaders went to Cleveland, Ohio to serve and partner with Parma Heights Baptist Church and to serve their community with local organizations. The exciting thing for me is I was one of those leaders that I got to be with them on that trip. And I got to see how God used them 
in amazing ways. We know God is ascending God, and we're excited to see how he sends and we get used by it. So these students were just amazed to see how they were ingrained in with the, what was happening with the kids in their vacation Bible school and all throughout the other different organizations. By God's grace, this is one of our strengths. Wheaton Bible Church is ascending church. And from our very beginning, back in, I think it was 1929, we have been sending. And so that's one of those things that we do as a church that we send us to go into there. And so we are empowering and celebrating our youth as they are going and elevating the Great Commission and they are going out into communities to serve and to do the common good of those around them. So last week you got to hear on Hannibal's experience. Instead of sharing mine, I would like to share with you what our students had to say about the mission trip. So check out this powerful video recap. church that we stayed at in Parma Heights, they run a camp called Summer Shake-Up. It's where the community gets together and partners with the church and they set up a week for the kids. It wasn't just an ordinary summer camp for students. They were worshiping, getting to know God, getting that word of Jesus, who Jesus is. Muchos niños que no habían pues conocido de, de Dios y del Evangelio pueden, podían escuchar y conocer más. We served the kids by running the games and also being small group leaders. And we'd get to like know the kids more, we'd get to talk to them, we'd get to play games with them, it was just so much fun. Worship was definitely one of my favorite parts because I got to see all the little kids dance and sing along with the worship. It was just really fun to get to see the kids uh, just enjoying themselves, having a smile on their face and just being kids. I served for Youth with Christ, which was an organization that served teenagers. At Youth for Christ, they would host a bunch of like gatherings for people who were like less fortunate. They would feed them and like prepare them and keep them like company and stuff. They would also do like teaching activities and get kids to like learn more about God. We were painting a mural outside and that was a lot of fun. When the guy, like the leader, or I think he was like the organizer or something like that, he was telling us what to do and then after he gave us a humongous hug, like he was so grateful. The way it impacted me was being able to see that like a little work can like bring up a new foundation, can have kids feel more happy and more safe in their home. Medwish is a nonprofit organization that collects um, old and unused medical supplies and reuses them, recycles them. It's a very large warehouse full of all kinds of boxes of donated supplies that they just needed people to go through. We kind of sorted it into a bunch of different categories. The medicine that we ended up sorting through uh, went to Ethiopia and Ukraine. I was on the team at Eaton's home and we helped a woman named Sue. Every day that we were there almost, she cried when she was talking to us because of like the weight that we were lifting off her shoulders by helping her. Helping Sue kind of gave me like more of a heart for seeing how I can help other people in need. My favorite part of the trip was probably the tour we did on the first day. We went and visited a few different ministries going on in Cleveland. I feel like I learned a little more to like serve with a more willing heart. Ver todos como crecimos juntos en comunidad, apoyándonos a uno al otro, y también poder como demostrar el amor de Dios en servir y todo lo que hacíamos. Looking back, I just realized like the impact that it had on me, 
and the impact that we were able to have on the community. There was a student that I was talking to and he had told me, I'm not uh, afraid to share the word of God. And he was like, I love talking about it. And he was like not shy to talk about Jesus. There's some people, you know, especially our age that are afraid to share the gospel. And it's amazing to see that the younger generation isn't afraid, you know? Spending time with everybody, at least I feel like I got a lot closer to a lot of people. It was cool seeing everyone's strengths come out as they were helping others. The more you were talking to people, like when we were having dinner or lunch, or like even like the service projects, we were in the groups, we were, we were getting to know each other in a way that you would never get to know somebody like at school. And getting to know them in a personal level was something that was such a great experience. I feel like I got to know a lot more people and now it feels like home just coming to this church more and more. Is that not exciting? Would you pray with me so that we can give God the glory for that? Father God, we just thank you that all of these students felt called to go on this trip and they were used by you. Lord, we just thank you that they responded to the gospel and were willing to share the hope they have in you with those kids, with the people in the neighborhood, the way they served, that they were your hands and feet. And so, Father, I just ask that you continue to work through our students this year in their schools, in their sports teams, and all the different things that they do throughout the week. Lord, I just pray that you use them. Give them the courage, the boldness to share who you are and the hope they have in you. And Father, I ask that they be an example to us to step out of our comfort zones and to be used by you in our church, in our work, in our homes, in our communities, all the places that we go, Lord. I pray that you use us. Lord, for our fellow believers who are serving globally, I pray that you protect them, that you equip them, that you supply them with the things that they need so that they can give you glory and your name be lifted high. Lord, I pray that you just be with them as they serve you. And Father, I just pray that you send us wherever you see fit to use us, whether it's in our own towns, in our homes, in our church, locally, globally, Lord. Give us what we need to be missional for you. And so Father, I ask that you be with Hannibal as he is going to preach from your word. Lord, I pray that you use him to speak what you want to us to hear. And I pray that you open our ears to hear what you have to say. And Father God, I just lift this all up to you and I give you praise in your precious and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to read the scripture right now and I ask that you stand with me in reverence to God's word. And we are going to be reading Matthew 9, 1 through 17. And you can follow along in your journals on page 44. And Lord, I just pray that you hear and we hear what you have to say. Reading Matthew 9, 1 through 17. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, 
Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe. And they praised God, who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of the unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal Rodriguez, and today we continue with our series based on the Gospel of Matthew. And as you saw, we are, uh, we are studying chapter 9. We're actually in section number 3 of this series, and we're going to be, today we're looking at the first part of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Uh, but before we dig into the scripture, I want to ask you a very personal question. All right? You know how much I love personal questions. I I would like to ask yourself the question, do you know, do I know, what's my greatest need today? Just think for a second, if you actually know what your greatest need for you is today. What's your greatest need And I would like to make the argument that there are different needs in different times and during different seasons. And some of those needs are probably major. But I would like to invite you to consider that there is a difference between a major need and the greatest need. See, I think that we all have different major needs depending on our context or where we are and what we go through. But the greatest need is the one that we all share, is the one that we all have in common. Our greatest need is the one that has to deal with our past and our present, and we'll have to deal with our future. Our greatest need, once again, is the one that we all have in common. Now, someone may ask, what then is our greatest need? 
And I'm glad you asked the question because I prepped like crazy to answer that question. These are the three things we're going to talk about today. The greatest need, the greatest challenge, and the greatest love. Now I need you to do me a favor, look at the person next to you and say to him or her, you really need to pay attention today. Go ahead. Yeah. You know what I love when I do that? It's like you see from here, some of you really enjoy that and some of you guys really hate it. <laughs> um, let's go with the first point, the greatest need. See, in the text we just read this morning, uh, Jesus has three different encounters with three different groups of people, if you will. He's ha he has an encounter with a paralytic and his friends. He has an encounter with Matthew, one of his disciples, and his friends. And lastly, he has an encounter with the religious leaders, the Pharisees. Um, and first, we're going to deal with the first encounter. So look at what it says in verse 2. It says that some men brought to Jesus a paralyzed man laying in a mat, and Jesus saw their faith. Now, we don't have the full picture here, but if you read any of the other Gospels, you will see that these friends are bringing their paralytic friends because they're desperate for him to get healed. Actually, we know that they're desperate for him to get, to get healed because they were the ones that found Jesus. They were the ones that brought him to Jesus. They were the ones that um, carved a hole in a ceiling so they could lower him to Jesus. These guys are super committed to see their friend healed by Jesus. Such a commitment that that's the reason why Jesus says, or, or the, the text says that Jesus saw their faith. Super committed to see Jesus doing something on behalf of their friend. The question we have to ask, uh, the, the, the question we need to ask is what is the reason for this commitment? Why is it that these people were so desperate to help their friends? I think that a, mo a modern reader would say, well, that makes sense. Of course, we, their friends are, 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 are willing to do all of this stuff because they want to see him walk. See, and I think that that makes sense from that perspective because who wouldn't want your friend to be able to move? See, a person that struggles with that depends on other people for almost anything and everything. See, a person that struggles with that does not have the freedom to move and do whatever they want. See, a person that struggles with that most likely cannot provide for him or herself. So it makes sense that this guy and their friends would want, him, would want Jesus to perform this miracle. They want healing. But I want to invite you to consider that when you read the Gospels, there's much more than just these men wanting to walk. I want to invite you to consider that the Gospels, when they talk about this kind of stuff, when someone is um, uh, sick or when someone, in this case, is a paralytic, in the culture and in the person, there is another narrative going. See, in that context, in that time, if you were a paralytic, all of your friends or neighbors or people who know you would assume that you are a paralytic either because God punished you they would assume that you are a paralytic because God uh, cursed you. They would assume that you are a paralytic because of the consequences of your parents' sin. Or they would assume that you are paralytic because of your own sin. 
See, it wasn't just that this man couldn't walk. It was this, uh, this narrative outside of him and inside of him that would make his life even more, mis- more miserable. I actually want to make the argument that this man is a struggling because he believes the very last one of the things I mentioned. Somehow he feels and thinks that part of the reason why he's a paralytic is because he's suffering for the consequences of his own sin. Now notice that the Bible doesn't tell us when is it that he became a paralytic. But the reason why I could argue that he's struggling with this is because I think that most likely he became a paralytic later on in life. And I know that he's struggling with this because of what Jesus says to him. When Jesus is approaching him, he doesn't say, listen, you're paralytic because of the sins of your parents or because God cursed you or because there's something wrong outside of you or anything like that. He's actually saying something. He has, he's addressing him in a different way. Now, before I get there, I want you to put yourself in this man's shoes. If you actually believe that you are sick because God is punishing you for your own sin, How fruitful is your life? Now, what I love about this text, though, is that this man had already made up his mind about what his greatest need was. He thought, and his friends thought, that his greatest need was for God to change his circumstances. He thought, and his friends thought, that the best thing that God could do for them was to change, for him, was to change his circumstances. Because to him, if God would heal him, if Jesus would heal him, not only would fix all his physical problems, but his emotional problems and his spiritual problems. If Jesus would heal him, everything will get fixed. But see, Jesus knows best. Listen up, church. Jesus knows that he can change your circumstances. But if your heart is not healed, physical healed means nothing. Let me say that again. Because it's tweetable. You could tweet it. If you have Twitter. (laughs) Jesus knows that even if he heals you physically... And changes your circumstances. If your heart is not healed, nothing else matters. And this is why the second part of verse 2, he says, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you were there, that wouldn't make any sense. If you and I were there witnessing this thing, this miracle would not make any sense. I would be the first one to say, "Uh, excuse me, Jesus, that's not what he asked for. I would be the first one to say to this man, hey, I don't think that Jesus knows your problem. But once again, this is what you got to keep in mind. That if Jesus heals him physically, but his heart continues to struggle with shame and guilt, it doesn't matter if he gets healed, nothing changes inside of him. You see, yes, he could run, but his guilt and shame will run with him. Yes, he could walk, but his guilt and shame will walk with him. Yes, he could do whatever he wants, 
but his guilt and shame would walk and go with him wherever he goes. Jesus knows that. See, I, I think that sometimes we forget that our greatest need is actually to be forgiven. Actually, I think that many of us believe the lie that if we do external things and we fix external things, we should be okay. But Jesus says it doesn't matter how much you run, how much you hide, how much you buy, how much you pretend. If you're struggling with guilt and shame, they're still there. Don't miss this, church. Jesus knows that your greatest need and that my greatest need is to be forgiven. Now, did you guys notice that this man does not complain? Did you notice that Jesus performs this miracle and this man does not complain? I'm calling miracle the forgiveness of his sins. Did you notice that he didn't say to Jesus, this is not what I asked for? Did you notice that he's not saying, Jesus, please listen, okay, it's okay, you forgive my sins, but heal me. He doesn't say any of that. That reminds me of something that um, Joni Erickson Tata, if you guys know who she is, uh, she's a lady who has been a paralytic for 55 years. And this is what she says. Pay attention. She says, I would rather be in this wheelchair with Jesus than walking without him. I actually think that this man is going through something like that. At this moment, this man does not know that Jesus was going to heal him. At this moment, he has no hope, if you will, that Jesus will actually make him walk again. And yet there is no complaint at all from him. Maybe just maybe, he understood that his greatest need was actually his greatest need, the forgiveness of his sin. Did you know that even science have something in, uh, sort of understand how important it is for us to deal with our guilt and shame? There are tons of studies that show that there is a real need in us dealing with our guilt and shame. This comes from an article from uh, Psychology Today. Look at what they say. And I quote, unresolved guilt is like having a snooze alarm in your head that won't shut off. You know what that means? That it doesn't matter what you do, the guilt is still there. It says guilty feelings make, you, make it difficult to think it straight. Guilty, guilt makes us reluctant, reluctant to enjoy life. Guilt can make you self-punish. Guilt affects relationships. Guilty feelings um, make you feel literally heavier and more stressed. And this one they add, which I found super interesting. Guilt takes you to unjustified guilt. You know what that means? You feel guilty for something and you carry that to every single sphere in your life. Even for the things that you shouldn't feel guilty about. You know what's the difference between the gospel and science? The science would actually say, or psychology would actually say, do whatever you, 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 do whatever you need to do uh, to get rid of your guilt. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of that feeling. Run, hide, distract yourself, think positively, value yourself, or simply deny it. 
And the gospel says, no, don't run. No, don't hide yourself. No, don't distract yourself. It doesn't, because it doesn't matter how much you do. The one thing you need is to be forgiven by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take heart, sons, and daughters, your sins are forgiven. That is the only way, church, that we get rid of our guilt and shame. You know what's interesting? That it doesn't matter if you have been a Christian for 10, 20, 30, 40, and 50 years, guilt and shame is still there. Therefore, if you are not a believer, this is what you need to get rid of your guilt and shame. But if you are a believer, you still need the same thing to get rid of your guilt and shame. Now, the religious leaders are looking at all of this, hearing all of this, and they're struggling with Jesus. Because they know that there's only one person that has the power and ability to forgive sins. So look at what it says in verse 3. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Once again, they know that if Jesus forgives sins, Jesus is saying that he is God. Now, Jesus wants to reconfirm their suspicions. And he says in verse 6, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And this is what, it's crazy what Jesus does with religious people usually. He says, so you think that I'm God? Well, let me, let me confirm it to you. I am God. And not only am I going to forgive this person's sins, but I'm going to heal him completely. Which, by the way, that was the addition, that was an extra miracle that most likely this man really didn't need at that point. And because God is a God of grace and love, and he cares not just for your soul, but for your physical being, he performs the miracle. You know what I call that? Freedom. Freedom is not lack of restrictions. Freedom is not that you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want to. Freedom is you having freedom from within. That even if you are paralytic, you know that you have been forgiven and accepted. That even if circumstances does not, do not change, you're still free from within. I would rather stay in this wheelchair without, with Jesus than walking without Jesus. That's what these men are ex, uh, experiencing. Do you know what your greatest need is today? Do you still think that that's your greatest need? I still think that this is my greatest need. And I'll explain why in a second. But just as much we talk about our greatest need, we also got to talk about, second point, our greatest challenge. And for this one, we're gonna actually going to look into the Matthew experience. And the point that I'm going to try to make here, and I want you to follow because I think this is a little bit more complicated, is that in order for you to experience your greatest need, you have to overcome your greatest challenge. 
Do you know what your greatest challenge is? Listen up, church, because I love you. I'm going to tell you this. Your greatest challenge, my greatest challenge, is to recognize and admit that I'm worse than what I think I am. The greatest challenge for me, okay, maybe not for you because you're holy, but me. The greatest challenge for me is to recognize that I'm more sinful than what I think I am. So let me give you a, a, a concept that theologians use that a, a lot of people don't like, but I happen to love. And it's a concept of total depravity. Have you ever heard of that? This is the explanation what the, some theologians mean when they use the concept of total depravity. Total depravity does not mean that we are the worst people in the world. I'm sure that there's people that is worse than you and worse than me. I'm sure. That's not what total depravity means. What total depravity means is that everything we do, even if it's good things, it's always tainted by sin. Now, because I don't want to talk about you, but I, I'd rather talk about me. I, I'm going to give you an example that I've used from the pulpit many times, and I will continue to use it. So you understand why this is such an important doctrine for me. See, every time I preach, I really, I believe that in my heart, I want to give glory to God, and I want to serve you well. Every time I preach... I think, I think that before the Lord, I could say that I'm here because I want to give glory to him and I want to serve you well, even if it hurts. You know, aggressive grace sometimes. But I also know that every time I preach, listen up, church, every time I preach, there is another part of my heart that wants to take the glory. So there's a part of my heart in which says, I want to give glory to God and serve you well. And the other part of my heart says, this is all for me. Now, am I the only one? Whew, I'm glad. Therefore, we maybe, maybe, just maybe, we ought to consider that this concept of total depravity might be a real thing. You know how we know? Uh, uh, this is not in my notes, so it's, it has to be from the Holy Spirit. You know how we know that we struggle sometimes with this thing? When you serve somebody, right? And you expect that this person will say something like, Thank you. But if they don't, none of us go and say, this is such a nice person. There's a part inside of us that says, how ungrateful. Maybe, 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 just maybe. You wanted a little bit of glory for yourself. Maybe, 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 just maybe. You thought that you were served him them well, and maybe you did, but you wanted to serve yourself as well. That's not in the notes. Total depravity also means that we have the potential to do crazy things. So for me, for example, in my time as a pastor, you have no idea how many times I had to sit with someone in which this person is confessing that they committed adultery. And I actually believe that this is an evidence of God's grace for me in a sense that every time I sit with someone 
I'm trying to navigate this with someone, I almost hear this voice in my head that says, Hannibal, you got the potential to do exactly the same. I have the potential to be unfaithful to my wife. That's why I find it extremely arrogant when a Christian says, I would never do that. Yes, you have the potential to do that. You know what our greatest challenge is? To get to that point. Actually, I'm going to show you in a second, but this is part of the reason why Romans chapter 7 says that we have this word within our members. With part of our heart, we want to serve the Lord and love him well. With part of our heart, we want to serve ourselves. This is also part of the reason why, actually, if you want to see where you are with this, this is one of the ways you know. The sins you hate the most in other people, most likely will be the sins that you struggle with. The sins that you hate the most in other people, most likely will be the sins that you struggle with. You know what proud people hate in other people? Pride. That person is not humble. He's not like me. <laughs> the greatest challenge is to get to the point where you truly see yourself as a true sinner. Only when you get to that point, you learn to treasure Jesus above, above everything else. And you start to change. How do I know that? Because that's exactly what happened to Matthew. Verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector booth. Now, if you know anything about Matthew, you know that his career was not, would not be a nice career to choose. Like, you don't go to Wheaton College to become a tax collector. Actually, a tax collector, if you know, what might be, or, or, or it was probably, in that context, one of the most despicable careers that you could choose. Because you will work for Rome, you were a Jew that will work for Rome, collecting the taxes of your people, or from your people, so, and collecting enough to pay what the Romans uh, required, but you have permission from the Roman, Roman government for you to charge extra, so that extra will be your salary. So let's say the Romans require that you collect $5 per person. As a tax collector, I have permission from them to charge $10 from my people so I could make a $5 profit. You know what's crazy? The Romans knew that that happened, obviously, but they, the Jews also knew that that happened. So can you imagine what that is? So he is hated by the Romans because he's a Jew. And he's hated by the Jews because he's a thief. Despicable man. Victor Frank, in his book, um, Man in Search of Happiness, or something like that. Victor Frank was a, a psychologist, a Jew psychologist that was a prisoner in one of the Nazis' um, uh, concentration camps. And his observations of how people behaved in those concentration camps, he came to realize that the worst people, the cruelest people in a concentration camp, were always the Jews that worked for the Nazis. That's super interesting. Matthew is like that. 
Matthew knows that he's a despicable man. But because he knows that he's that, when Jesus says this in the second part of verse 9, follow me, Jesus says, and look at what Matthew says or does. He followed him automatically. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, when he talks about this, he says that Matthew left everything for Jesus. This is the thing. When you know that you are a sinner, like a true sinner, not someone that just misbehaves, and not someone that struggles with temper every now and then, and not just someone that is a little bit greedy, or not just someone that is just, it's just every now and then a bad person, but a sinner. When you get that, Jesus calls, you understand how much grace that is, and the only response you may have is to leave everything for the one that loved you. There's more than that. There's more. Because in verse 10, not only Jesus calls him to follow him, but he, he goes home and says, well, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, you need to understand what that meant for that people in that context. First century people would never, ever, 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 ever will have dinner with someone that was despicable. Ever. In that context and in that time, you only had dinner with family members, with the people you loved and trusted, and with close friends. That's it. This is a culture of hospitality. So they will have coffee with you. They will have juice or water with you, but not dinner. Dinner was reserved for the ones that they truly loved and accepted. But look at what Jesus does. He's having tacos. He's having barbecue. He's having a steak. He's having chicken. He had all kinds of meat. No, not true. Some kinds of meat. With the people that would never sit with them. That nobody would ever sit with them. This is why the Pharisees says, they would look and say in verse 11, how come Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners? Interesting that the word eat there is an imperfect tense, meaning that they're saying that Jesus had the, habit, <clears throat> had, had the habit to sit and eat with sinners. This is not the first time that Jesus is doing this. This was his lifestyle. He wanted to mingle. He wanted proximity with the outcasts of society, with the rejects, with the ones that nobody else wanted. This is part of who Jesus was. He gravitated toward the ones that people, that, uh, toward the broken ones. Did you know that part of the reason why we are, we are here and Jesus come is precisely because we were the outcasts? Part of the struggle with the Pharisees is that they thought that they were righteous. And I'll explain that in a second. Only the people that understand that we are truly broken, truly broken, that we don't deserve anything, these are the people that actually embrace Jesus well. 
As I was prepping for this, I remember something that Matt Chandler used years ago when he, Matt Chandler is a pastor in Dallas, uh, when he started his ministry. Actually, I think that this is what, this quote is what made him, this illustration is what made him famous. He says that one of the first, as he's, uh, becomes a Christian and he goes to a a conference, um, not a conference, a concert, and he's going with a lady that is struggling with her faith. And this lady was uh, living with a man uh, outside of marriage, and she has a kid outside of marriage, and she's struggling in so many different ways. And they go to this concert trying to see if Jesus would do something for her. And as, right in the middle of the concert, this preacher comes and he starts talking about sexual purity. And he brings with him a rose. And he says... I want you to look at this rose. Look at how beautiful it is. How, look at, mm, how, smell, how beautiful this smells. And then he starts passing the rose around. But the more the rose goes around, the more the rose is destroyed. By the time he finished the full circle, the rose gets back to the preacher. And the preacher says, as a way to invite people to change. He says, look at this rose. By now completely destroyed. Look at this rose. Who would want this rose? And Chandler says that, that was one of the ways, one of the things that the Lord used to change his heart completely. Because he says that he started to feel un- anger. Because if there was one person that wanted that broken rose, was God. Jesus wanted a broken rose. The best thing that you can do for yourself, the best thing that you can do for your heart is to understand, truly believe that we are broken sinners. Not just people that need to be modified. Now remember the Pharisees? Jesus now is going to deal with them. And in verse 12, look at what he says. And hearing this, Jesus says, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. And then in verse 13, he says, but go and learn what he means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let me paraphrase and explain what Jesus just said to these men. My words. You think that you're righteous, he says to the Pharisees. You think that you're healthy. Let me break the news to you. You ain't. Jesus for 21st century. You think that you're righteous because you do religious things. You have sacrifices. No, you're sick. You are not healthy even though you think you're healthy because you don't even know how to exercise mercy. You are so full of yourself that you think that you are superior to others and that hasn't allowed you to be merciful. Therefore, You break my commandment because you cannot love your neighbor as yourself. That's my translation. If you want to know how righteous you may feel, if I want to know how righteous I may feel, one of the tests is to see how compassionate we are. Because only the ones that know that have been saved by grace alone are compassionate toward the ones that are broken. We don't justify guilt. 
and we don't pretend that wrong things are not there. But it is possible for you to see things just as they are and yet to be people full of compassion. Let me say this again. We can only overcome our greatest challenge that we are truly sinful people, not only so we can see Jesus as the one that we truly need, but also because we need to learn how to exercise compassion. If you cannot exercise compassion, most likely there's a part of you that still thinks that you are spiritually superior to others. So what is it that people ought to do then to change? And I'm going to move faster on this one because this is the last part of the text. He says that you need to be born again. You need to be recreated again in Jesus. And that's... That's the image that he gives us with the garment and the wine. In verse 16 says, no one saws a patch of unshrunk cloth and an old garment. And then let's jump to verse 17. Neither do people pour new wine into all wineskins. Let me explain those two really quick. If you have an old piece of clothing and it has a hole, you cannot use a new patch to cover that hole. Because once you wash your clothes, that patch shrinks and it makes the hole even bigger. That's the illustration there. And the wine illustration is because it says when you have new wine, means that that wine is not fermented yet. And if you put that new wine in, a, new wine in, a, in, a, in an old wineskin, once the wine starts fermenting, that thing will blow and burst eventually. This is all Jesus saying to these people, you need to be made new again. Listen up. If you are here and you're not a Christian, that's what you need. And if you are here and you're already a Christian, that's still what you need. You still need to be made new time and time again. How does that happen? Point number three. Look at the greatest love. Now, as we prepare for communion, don't, don't grab your cups yet. Just listen to me for a second. I, I, I want you to go back to the time when Jesus is having this conversation with the paralytic. See, please don't grab the cup again, just yet. You guys remember what happened there? He forgave him, and then he said, take your mat and go home. Don't you find that weird? Was, was Jesus a clean freak? Did Jesus want to keep the place clean, and that's why he told him to take this stuff with him? I, I want to make the argument that there's a reason why Jesus asked him to take his mat home. See, that man represented every single year that he felt that he was not worthy of anybody's love because of his guilt and shame. Now picture you walking around with that man and people would say, why do you still walk with that man? And I would say, because this represented what I was, but not no more. 
You guys remember two weeks ago when Pastor Phil was preaching about uh, the leper? He says that part of the way these people announced that they were sick is they will come into town and say, I'm clean, I'm clean. You know how terrible that is? Sinful, sinful. Greedy, greedy. Adultery, adultery. But because Jesus makes things new and he forgives your sins and he takes the guilt away and he eats with you. Next time you walk around, you could say forgiven, forgiven, accepted, accepted, loved, loved, welcome, welcome, adopted, adopted. It was the same thing for Matthew. He also had a visual, you know, every time he went home and sat at that table, in that table, it was a reminder that he had been loved and accepted. And that's why he followed Jesus. Did you know that this is part of the reason why we participate in communion? So we get a visual of what Jesus already accomplished. I was the paralytic, you were the paralytic. I was Matthew, you were Matthew, and Jesus chose to sit with us at his table. Before we participate, I want you to think about that just for a second. And if you're a believer, I want you to take this time to thank him for his grace, for his love for his forgiveness, for his invitation. And if you're not a Christian just yet, become a Christian today. Take the forgiveness that he offers, repent for your sin, and then we can participate. Just spend there a few seconds. we think that we truly, truly are broken sinners and that yet Jesus invited us to eat with him. That's what changes you.
That's what changes me. I want to invite you then to take your cup and remove the first cover. And hold that bread in your hand. And remember that when Jesus called you to follow him, you were still a tax collector. And yet, he called you because later on he was going to pay at the cross the consequences of your sin. Let's participate. Now let's remove the second cover of your cup. And remember that at one point you were also full of guilt and shame. And Jesus offered forgiveness. And he forgave you. But because Later on, he will go to the cross and pay for the consequences of your sin. We may participate. Lord, we are grateful that you loved us so and so much. That you know us so and so much that you came to give us what we needed the most, your forgiveness and freedom from guilt and shame. I pray, Lord, that as we prepare to respond in adoration, we may remember that because of what Jesus did, there's always a place for us in your table or at your table. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you make that image so real to us that it transforms us. And we too, like Matthew, can drop everything for you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus and the church says. Let's respond to God's word.
part of um, part of what it means to be a sinner saved by grace is that we want to follow Jesus wherever he calls us to follow him. Amen? Did you know that part of following Jesus is you using your gifts and abilities for the glory of his name and the well-being of others? Did you know that? If you agree, say amen. amen. Because you said amen, let me just share with you something. I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but as a church, every week, every week we have tons of people serving the church in different ways. And now we're getting ready for this new ministry year, starting in September, and we are, we need so much help, put it simple. And the Lord is calling you to use your gifts and abilities for the glory of his name and the well-being of others. So for example, I just want to share this with you, not to make you feel guilty, but actually for you to know and for you to pray. So we need in AV Productions, all the tech and everything that we do, we need about 41, uh, we need every Sunday about 41 different roles. Um, we are, right now, we are about nine people short every Sunday for all of our services. Front Door Ministries, you um, use about 100 different volunteers every Sunday, and right now, we are 40 people short. Family Life Ministries, need about 130 people right now to just make things work, especially on Sunday. Now, part of your cause as a Christian, as you follow Jesus, is to allow the Spirit to use your giftings for the glory of His name and the well-being of others. So I want to invite you, church, to connect with someone in the welcome desk, uh, ask information, where, yet, where, yet, uh, where uh, what places can you serve? I want to invite you to pray and pray hard for the Lord to raise the people that we need. And if not, you could also use technology for those of you that love technology. There's a QR, QR code somewhere in front of you. You can scan that and go to where it says join a team and then put your gifts um, in the right place for the glory of God. Amen? Let's receive then the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. The one that invited us to eat with him also says this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Thanks for coming. Have a blessed day. Church, you are sent. Mm -hmm.